Hey guys, super excited uh, about today's podcast. But before I talk about today's podcast, go to youtube.com slash Gary VEE. I'm super fired up about Weekly V008. Uh, I said it last time I promoted Weekly V. I can't believe the comments. People are kind of like sit down, like TV watching style, throwing it on the smart TVs and things of that nature. I'm super flattered, super excited about it. Uh, this Weekly V is super loaded with a bunch of podcast action between Damon John and Sam Parr. Then there's a really epic uh, meeting I had with the Minnesota Rocker that is the uh, team that I own in the Call of Duty League, the minority owner along with the Vikings ownership group. Uh, Minnesota Rocker meeting, really interesting. Gets into my mindset about business and operations and marketing of kind of a startup. Uh, There's some Vayner Sports action at the uh, Combine and there's a really fantastic uh, podcast I did with an incredibly... Uh, incredibly fresh fashion brand called Mad Happy that's in the hoodie space doing a lot of interesting stuff. We got into some real there. Anyway, uh, back to the podcast. Go to uh, youtube.com slash Gary VEE, weekly V008, now active. Go watch, go subscribe, tweet me if you like it. See ya. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. What's up, podcast? Today's episode is from a keynote that Gary gave at the Hearing Innovation Expo in Las Vegas two months ago. He talks about context and how the world's view of marketing is forever changed. Make sure to hit him up and leave a review to let us know what you thought, and I hope you enjoy. Um, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here because I think one of my favorite words in the world, let alone the business world, is context. And when I think about this conference and the relationship between the organization throwing it and the majority of the individuals here, I have a whole lot of context for that and I'm gonna actually start with maybe five to 15 minutes of that context because I think the empathy I deploy towards the many individuals in this room who've been running their businesses a long time and whether they're having solid growth or not massive decline, the thought of heavy conversations around all these new digital things you have to do, yet the reality of your business at home isn't so bad, is the thing I most think about, and it's really my life story. I, uh, I was born in the former Soviet Union. I came to the US when I was three. I was um, a super entrepreneurial kid. Uh, my dad uh, and, and my grandparents and my grandmother, excuse me, my great-grandparents, uh, we all lived in a studio apartment in Queens, New York when we first came, so the first many years of, of my life that I remember were quite a struggle and a hard grind. My dad eventually got a job as a stock boy in a liquor store in New Jersey and uh, built his way up uh, and eventually became the manager of that store. Um, we... We moved to New Jersey. That's where my entrepreneurial career began. I did lemonade stands. I did, you know, the second it would snow, instead of building a snowman or going shoveling, you know, or, or throwing snowballs, I would grab a shovel and ring people's doorbells and, and, you know, try to make a buck washing cars. It was just always in me. To this day, I have incredible happiness. I work extremely hard, but I just unbelievably enjoyed the process. You know, obviously, when you have success within it, there are the side effects of the dollars, which are, are nice. But regardless of what you do in this room, if you are blessed with actually liking it, that is a really big deal. And so I really liked it. By the time I was 12 in America, baseball cards, sports cards became a really big deal. And I was really naturally good at it. I knew a lot about sports, so I knew who to invest in. 
and I bought a lot of cards, sold a lot of cards. And by the time I was 14, I was making one to $2,000 a weekend selling sports cards in the malls of New Jersey. And I don't know about you, but if you have $15,000 in cash under your bed and you're 15 years old and you're not selling weed, you're doing a good job. <laughs> so I'm still not sure if I'll ever be as wealthy as I was then because that was a lot of money for a kid that grew up with not much. So. That was going great, I was killing it, life was awesome as you can imagine, and then my dad dragged me into the liquor store. My dad, like, Mary, like many very strategic immigrants, and by the way, the immigrants have, uh, like my, my parents and myself, have completely figured out the game. It's called, come to America, work your face off for 12 years, buy nothing stupid, and then buy a business. And that's what my parents did. Uh, and so my dad had a liquor store now, and of course, first generation, oldest son, I'm gonna be dragged in and work in it. So that's what I did. And at first I hated it because my dad paid me two bucks an hour because that's how much he made when he started. And I bagged ice for 15 hours a day in the basement of his store. And so I went from this glamorous make a thousand bucks in the mall with my friend's life to this make 28 bucks. You know. And, and by the way, my dad is from the Soviet Union and he ran that liquor store like it was the Soviet Union, <laughs> which meant every employee basically hated him and they decided to take it out on his 14-year-old son who was the size of an eight-year-old. So those first two years were a struggle and then finally I was allowed upstairs and I realized something very quickly which was that people collected wine and that was huge. My dad had a liquor store in Springfield, New Jersey and that was surrounded by some wealthy areas in Jersey. That was more of a blue collar town, but there was a lot of wealth around it. And even though my dad's store was called Shoppers Discount Liquors, there were people coming in asking for wine, and I would listen, and I would listen. And that's gonna be the theme of this. Listen, regardless of what this amazing organization just presented, or Damon, or, or I, or anybody has to say, the reality is, unless you are 100% consumer-centric, it doesn't matter if the org is right, it doesn't matter if I think I'm right. It doesn't matter if you think you're right. The entire game at retail is, and life at this point because of the internet dynamics are very simple. Are you consumer centric or are you not? Do you have empathy and respect for where the attention of our customer lives so that they could even know about you to do what you want them to do or do you not? It's a binary game. And from lemonade, where I used to have to figure out which sign to put my lemonade sign on, whether it's a tree or a pole or which corner, to the signage I used to make in my dad's store to sell the wine we needed to sell, that has been the thing I've chased my whole life. And once I realized that people collected wine, that was interesting to me. So now I wanted to be in my dad's business. And over the next five years, I learned more about wine than any child should. I read constantly. In parallel, which was very unique for all the immigrants that came over, I was a horrible, horrible student, like D's and F's. So I really wanted to go in my dad's business. My mom forced me to go to college. I went to college, and in the first week of college, I'm in my dorm room playing Madden 94, dominating, by the way, uh, playing Madden 94. My friend runs in, this is September 1994, my friend runs in and says, you have to come and see this. I finish my game, I go into a dorm room, and somebody is sitting in front of a computer. Now mind you, I'm 18 years old at this time. I've probably spent less than 10 hours, because I was such a bad student, on a computer in my entire life. One of the devastating excuses 
by a, a cliche room like this about how they market is that they didn't grow up with it. You didn't grow up driving, you figured it out. And so I did not grow up with computers. I went into this room, I heard for the first time, guys remember that? I mean, talk about a ripoff. $2 a minute to be on the internet. These kids would be running up $3 million bills. Um, so I hear it, I see it, I have no idea. I say something silly because I think I maybe had heard of it. I'm like, is this the information superhighway? Something completely ridiculous. This is for the, who here is under 30? Raise your hands. Great. Uh, you're not gonna understand this at all. <laughs> I'm, I'm standing there. We literally, I literally stood in a room and watched people go on the internet because it was so profound and I literally waited four and a half hours to get my turn to get on there. When I got my turn at like one in the morning, in about 20 minutes I found myself on a bulletin board selling sports cards. And that was basically the moment that my life changed. I had decided that night with no tech background that this internet thing was big. And over the next 18 months, I educated myself quite a bit on it. And in 1996, 24 years ago, I launched one of the first e-commerce wine businesses in America. I didn't love my dad's store's name of Shoppers Discount Liquors because I wanted to be a wine player, so we launched winelibrary.com. And in 1997 to 1998, my last year in school, because I wasn't there, the site ran, but it lagged. It cost $15,000 to build the site, and in the first year of sales, because the internet was so early and because I wasn't there, the site did $1,200 in revenue. Now, I don't know how many of you have a Soviet father named Sasha, <laughs> but the ROI on the $15,000 investment and $1,200 in gross sales did not go over super well. <laughs> and this is the punchline. The learnings in that year from afar, but more importantly, the first year that I came into the business, the learnings that I learned by having an early e-commerce site were super imperative. From 1998 to 2004, in a five-year window, and, and, and this is probably the most important part of this talk, because I come here, let, let, me, let me be very frank, I do this quite a bit, I've done this now for quite a long time. You know, it was so fun talking to you backstage, sir, because you talked about, you know, you would get people fired up on Saturday and by Monday, they're back to notions. It's something I say all the time. I'm about to give you 35 more minutes of enormous practicality to the truth of what's actually happening. I will then spend 12 to 13 minutes of doing, or 15 minutes to do Q&A to make it very contextual to your industry. A ton of you will find logic in it, not just how pumped I am about it. It will be practical. I'm an immigrant and have built businesses my whole life. You'll get excited, but then next Thursday will happen and we'll veer away. But let there be no confusion to what I'm speaking about here. I have no emotion about social media, digital media. I could care less about all these logos. If Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, Snapchat, TikTok, and Facebook disappeared tomorrow, I would be thrilled. I'd be thrilled because a load of people would be confused. <laughs> they wouldn't know what to do. They, the people that 
digitally market in that environment would be concerned. I'd also be thrilled because 85% of America's attention would be up for grabs. And it's going to go somewhere. The attention is there. When people yell about kids on their phones going through Instagram, they quickly forgot that they used to lay in their bed for four hours going through Vogue and Teen Magazine. It's the same game. It's just a different delivery mechanism. So we're at the point now that really matters to me and I want you to listen very carefully because the thing I respect enormously is that if you are here, you're a top player in your industry, you're building something actual. This is not raising capital, arbitrage, you've got an actual business. Here's the actual business story of what I did for my dad's store in this five to seven year period. I came in, the business did $3.3 million in top line revenue. It was a one store unit on a corner of Springfield and Milburn Avenue in New Jersey. It did 3.3 million top line revenue. It did 10% gross profit. Shoppers discount liquors. 330 profit before expenses. Gross, not net. My dad paid nobody anything so we kind of made a couple bucks. (laughs) With no loan, with no cash infusion from, there was no talk of venture capital or go, you know, with no, with not even a credit line, which I didn't even realize existed for the first 15 years of my career, I built that business from a $3.3 million business to a $65 million business in six years. No, nope. Let me tell you why no. It should be 250 million and I'll explain in a few minutes. What I did over that five to seven year period was I figured out how to make every penny work like a dollar while my competitors made every dollar work like a penny. It was 1998 and now there was something called email. And in 1998 I launched an email newsletter. The reason you see a huge text phone number here is because I've started a text platform where I can text you my content my offers, my communications, and it's the first time since 1998 email that I've seen a platform, not even social media, work this well because everybody actually sees it. How many people here had email in 1999? Raise your hands, raise it high, I just want everybody to see it. Oh, quite a bit, this is great, you'll remember. So for the, one more time, the kids under 30? Okay, kids, you're gonna love this one. In 1999, we read every single email that was sent to us. Right, you remember. My friends, I'm gonna leave you with the most basic, basic business principle that I know. In spending 20 minutes with this wonderful organization backstage, I realized they already had one of the only two things that actually matter in business from one man's humble opinion. Actually caring about the customer. Many of you have built your business at scale by providing such meaningful service around something that's so emotional that they have become the word of mouth engines for your business. I'm completely convinced of that. How many people in business for over 15 years? A staggering percentage of you have done at least that. That's impossible for you not to, right? That's punchline. The other most meaningful part of business where 93% of this audience is not playing in is the arbitrage of the attention of your consumer. Not does your $20,000 print ad work or not, the question is if you spent that same 20 and you knew what you were doing on Facebook and Instagram, 
would it work better? Not if your local radio thing or sponsoring the softball team or whatever you locally do, that that energy and time and money, not does that work, does that work better than what's actually happening with the person you're trying to reach in 2020. There is no more interesting thing in marketing today for me than marketing to people 55 to 90 on Facebook. A stunning percentage of 55 to 90 lives on Facebook to basically debate politics and over-amplify how good their kids are. (laughs) And they live in there. And when somebody lives in something, you can market to them. In 1998, it was called email. Nobody was doing it. I started the email newsletter. How many people here have done email marketing in their careers? Raise your hands, please. Great, so you're gonna see some staggering numbers here. In 1998, by 2001, 100,000 people on an email newsletter with 90% open rates. It was new. It was new. Today, that list is 500,000 people with 31% open rates. And even in those open rates, the consumption and the conversion is not in the same place. And I'm sure for marketers, they hear that numbers. Those are very healthy numbers, but that's a lot of work into it. So it was email. Next, Google AdWords came out. The day Google AdWords came out, I bought every wine term for five cents a click. The reason I stopped you from clapping for three to 65 is this. Had I understood at 23 and 24 years old, 25 years old, that when you have, oh, it's actually, this is perfect. We're in Vegas. I don't play poker, but I know this enough to make this statement. When you really understand poker and you understand everything that's happening in front of you and you look at your hand and you know you have the nuts, you have the lead hand, the best hand one can get, it's a good idea to go all in if you can go them in to win because you've won. In 2001 to 2003, I won. It was called Google AdWords. None of my competitors understood it or were paying attention to it and I was buying customers for five cents a lead to the site and somewhere in the ballpark of 80 cents to get somebody to spend $40 but I did not understand how remarkable this moment was because I was going on intuition and on common sense and so even though I was spending real money on it, I was still doing direct mail, I was still doing full page ads in the New York Times, I was still doing other behaviors. If I look back, when I look back, there was still so much more room and had I understood and went all in, the business would have been disproportionately greater. As you can imagine, a decade later when I came to that realization, that has been a driving force of the things that I want to talk to you about. It is the driving force. In 2006, YouTube came out. It was a month old. I looked at it and I said, this thing is gonna be big. This thing is gonna be big. I think there's something here and I decide because there's no ads to run, this is now not marketing, this is content. I'm like, I'm gonna do a wine show. I've never done a wine show, but at that point I know a lot about wine, and I'm like, I'll do it. So somebody runs to Best Buy, buys a $300 camera, we sit down, and on February 20th, first, 2006, I record the first episode of Wine Library TV. Wine Library TV was something I went on to do a thousand episodes of. It was a very interesting concept. I got four bottles of wine from downstairs and I drank them. (laughs) It was me in front of a camera with four bottles of wine and I drank them, tasted, spit, because I lived in New York and the store was in Jersey and so I needed to make sure I didn't get pulled over so I would taste and spit. It was 20 minutes long and hundreds of thousands of people started watching it. 
because it was a novel platform, YouTube didn't have a lot of content, everything was copyrighted and young, and here was this wine show. That taught me the power of just content that was free, that organically could be seen by people and drive it. Four months later, uh, nine months later, excuse me, YouTube sells to Google for $1.7 billion. In 2006, the landscape of business, that $1.7, $1.9 billion number, if some of you remember, seemed like a trillion dollars. Most people hadn't even heard of YouTube yet, so the headlines in the Times and CNBC blew people's mind. What it did to me was it changed my career because I realized, my God, this talent I have of email and search and now YouTube, maybe I should use this talent in a way that's bigger than just selling more bottles of Pinot Noir. And so I decided then and there on that day that I would become an angel investor and I would invest in things that I believed in. And over the next 18 months, the first three companies that I put money into when they were very small companies were Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr. What that means is I'm extremely wealthy. <laughs> but much more importantly than that is something else. Those platforms go on to become what you know. Tumblr, if you don't know, got bought by Yahoo for a billion dollars. They up, you don't know it anymore. The other two are still around and quite meaningful. In 2009, at the height of this, I got offered to be a venture capitalist. I decided not to, and I decided to do what I do now, which I decided, probably on the back, that I'm a very big Star Wars fan, that I was going to build a communications and marketing death star that would scale what I'm good at and point it at anything that I wanted to point it at, whatever nonprofit, disease, movement, and definitely all the businesses like my sneakers and wine and other things that I have come. Over the last 10 years, I've built an organization from zero because the punchline of when I started the company was all my money was tied up in those three companies because I took all my money and bet on those three companies. My dad owned the liquor store. I had no money, so at 34 years old, after building a huge business for my dad, I left and started my own business with my brother, and I had nothing, and started VaynerMedia in a conference room of another company. From that moment on to today, we've built a thousand-person organization, a $200 million revenue business, Singapore, London, New York, LA. This is all to say one thing. This is not a press release for me. This is, please wake up with very little capital, but by deploying against the truth of what customers do, I've been able to do this and many more have as well. I am devastated that I'm about to deliver this sentence and the fact that you will not, you will not go spend the 15 hours on YouTube if you wanna watch it or Google if you wanna read it, free by the way, that you will not spend the 15 hours to educate yourself on how to do it, you won't and you will miss it. And that statement is very simple. My friends, LinkedIn, right this second, right this second, as we sit here today, I am a day trader of attention. I like Vine when Vine's big. I like Snapchat when Snapchat's big. I like TikTok when TikTok's big. I didn't talk about LinkedIn at all, now I talk about it every day. All I do is look where there's an arbitrage. Right this second, LinkedIn, the platform, that you think is just your business profile has become a content platform and it is acting like Facebook did in 2011. There's a stunning amount of people on it. If you've been to your LinkedIn recently and if you haven't, please do. The content is no longer just business, it is absolutely everything. People's opinions, what they're eating, exercise tips, wine. It has become 
Facebook. The organic reach, meaning you don't even have a LinkedIn account. You start an account for your retail store, for your store, forget about you, for your store. And you start posting content and people will see it without you paying for them to see it because the, it's just supply and demand. The attention on the platform is greater than the content that people are making. That will go away, it always does. It did on email, 90% to 30% open rates. It did on Google AdWords, five cent words are now $4. It did on Facebook. How many people here grew businesses, whether your own or others, in the prime of that Facebook 2011 to 14 era? Raise your hands if anybody. So for the couple of hands that went up, clearly you know this is not the same Facebook that we took advantage of in that half decade. That then happened on Instagram. The biggest mistake that people make when it comes to marketing is they decide a platform is not for them. You decide your customer's not on there. You decide that TikTok is not for you right now because that's for 12 to 15 year old girls and you're targeting 65 year old males, let's just say. What you don't understand is how communication and marketing actually works, which is if you're thoughtful enough about the content you make and you make a sweet little funny video of a 15 year old and a grandpa interacting, it can bring awareness for you. The lack of creativity or thoughtfulness or understanding of human behavior has led so many to not innovate or execute. The costs are remarkably low. LinkedIn scares me how inexpensive it is, but are you the kind of organization that is willing to make seven pieces of content for LinkedIn a day? Half this room doesn't make seven pieces of content for social media a year. They take whatever this organization sends them and they just post it and think something's gonna happen. My friends, I don't know what you're thinking, but no matter how remarkable this three-generation family business is that makes the best products, if you are not paying attention to what technology is doing to your industry, you're putting your head in the sand and you're gonna let a tidal wave run you over, period. The world is not going backwards. Technology and innovation doesn't care about how you want it to be. They don't care that you liked it when people, the world does not care that when you go to a restaurant and you see a couple sitting there eating but they're both on their phone and you're like, see, that's so sad. I see that as a great thing. When I go to a restaurant and I see a couple both on the phone the whole time, I say, that's the same couple I saw 20 years ago that sat and had dinner with each other and didn't say a word to each other. Now I'm happy that at least they could be looking at what they want to be looking at. <laughs> we demonize technology and we romance the past. Why in the world is writing a letter some remarkable, noble act? It's the message. It's the message. I understand the effort. I understand feeling good about a time that was. The problem is, we're not having a philosophical or even a political conversation here. We're in this room talking business. And the customer doesn't care how you want it to be. The customer doesn't care that you just renovated your store and you want them to come to you if they want it delivered to them. The customer doesn't care that they have to return two, three times to have it fit because they don't want to leave. Because Amazon got them used to it. 
My friends, please, please understand that we are living through the single biggest consumer behavior shift of our society because the internet, not Twitter, not TikTok, not a mobile device, the internet is the biggest invention in the history of the human race. It has changed the macro political climate. It has changed the way we look at health. It has changed everything. And it's just 20 years old and it's consumer facing. I can't, and I mean this, I can't wrap my head around why not every person here that doesn't spend 50% of their money in marketing on digital, and I mean modern digital, not Google AdWords, does go back home and actually Google how do you run ads for, this is, by the way, this is remarkable. You could go home and type in how do you run ads on Instagram for 70 year olds, enter and get unlimited free information. One more time, 30 year old kids, raise your hand. Kids, you know what we used to have to do to figure that out? Go to something called the library walk up to something called the Dewey Decimal System and find that that was written four and a half years ago that had nothing to actually do with the world. Now, while I am talking, every person here can take out of their pocket a device that is a computer that is more powerful than the computer that Ronald Reagan had to run the free world and type into Google how to run ads on Facebook to sell to 72-year-olds in Iowa, enter. My friends, it's time. The organization that brought us all here can't say it. Others won't say it. I'm gonna say it, because I want legacy. You have to build your brand. It's the only thing that's gonna be left. Even location, location, location is now in 2020. The world has changed. I'm not happy about it. Please let there be no confusion. I have been right so many times in my career, I just wish it stopped because I could stay right. Every time stuff changes, I get sad. You think I'm looking forward to the day within a decade that whether it's Google or Amazon, people are sitting in their home and saying, Google, send me a pizza. Do you know how scary it is for Pizza Hut and Domino's and Grubhub and Seamless and Google for everybody in America in 15 years and global. I know there's a 25% audience. By the way, you know what's crazy? Raise your hands if you're not in America. Raise it high, it's good, don't worry. It's gonna be okay. (laughs) What's scary about, thank you. What's scary about my world, the digital spend money on cheaper stuff, get more, is that Everything I believe in and write about is even better outside the US, even better. Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn and all these ads are more inexpensive there because even less people are taking advantage of it. It's just supply and demand. It's just supply and demand. My friends, it's time. It is time, this is the trip. This is the trip where you actually understand this is real because I promise you, There's several conferences that I've spoke at that hurt my feelings, and I'll give you the one that really stands out for me. I was an early investor in Uber as well. So I invest in Uber. I, as I told you, was born in the Soviet Union. A lot of the Russians that came over in the late 70s moved to LA and became taxi drivers. That was like the shtick there. So a lot of my dad's friends went there, started out driving a cab, 
immigrant stuff, save money, save money, save money. Now they own their own cars. They've spent their whole life grinding, their whole life. Now, about a decade ago when the Uber phenomenon started happening, they were in my dad's age, mid to late 50s. My dad is more like me, a working dog, but a lot of his friends actually couldn't wait to retire and go to warm weather and enjoy. So they're maximizing, maximizing, looking to flip. I get involved in Uber and I call a couple of those friends and say, hey, there's a new app and I think it's dangerous and I think you need to really think about it. I explain it. They laugh at me with a heavy Russian accent about, hold on, you say iPhone brings limo in three seconds? Ha, 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 some Vladimir Putin, right? I try to explain it again because I care. You know, I'll, let me make it very clear here. None of you are my dad's best friends, your acquaintances, and highly likely strangers. If not one of you does anything I'm talking about, that's actually good for me, not bad, because every dollar you put into Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat raises the price of the dollars that I put in. So please understand, I don't care about these platforms, I don't care about you. I'm here for one reason, to be historically correct so I can trade off that currency in a decade. Let there be no confusion. Anyway, they laugh at me. Within 36 months, those businesses that were worth millions of dollars on 29 cars times a multiple of EBITDA, da, 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 were worth 10 cents on the dollar. Whether it's GoEar, whether Apple decides to do something slightly different with its AirPod, whether some entrepreneur in here decides to innovate. My friends, if you do not build brand, reputation, awareness for your business, and you are relying on other brand equities, including this incredible brand, you are vulnerable. Period. And so, the one way I know how not to be vulnerable is to have leverage with the end consumer. And to have leverage with the end consumer requires people knowing who you are, new people knowing who you are, relying just on the word of mouth localization graph is becoming more and more vulnerable in every service in the country. You have to understand that the ability to know what pictures and videos go on these platforms down here is now, now as much of a business requirement as knowing how to balance a checkbook. I would argue, and I mean this by the way, that if you were my sister and you were only capable to have one skill and not have the other one at all, I would rather you know exactly how to do pictures and spend ads on these platforms than know how to balance a checkbook because we would hire a reputable accountant to do that. This is such a skill, and unlike an accountant where the math is tried and true, this changes every moment. When I wrote this New York Times bestseller called Crushing It, you can't see it, but you see there's some little circles up there, right? This book was only written 24 months ago. The little circles up there were the platforms. LinkedIn and TikTok are not in that book. They're not mentioned. TikTok was called Musical.ly at the time, right, for all the people that have an 11-year-old in their lives. And LinkedIn was not acting like this. It was still more similar to the thing that we all grew up with, which is a place we go to spam each other in mail to do business. I know that, you know, it's, actually, how many people here know who Mariano Rivera is? Raise your hand. Pretty good. Mariano Rivera was the closer 
the last pitcher for the New York Yankees for about 20 years, went to the Hall of Fame, the best to ever do it. If you really know baseball, you know what I'm about to tell you, which was, he was solid, but he had one pitch. He had this cutter that besides Edgar Martinez, for whatever reason, nobody on earth could actually hit. And he threw it for 20 years. The reason I bring him up randomly is because I am Mariano Rivera. I am solid at operations. I can balance a checkbook. I'm a really good leader because I took my mom's EQ, so I like people and all that good stuff. But I have a pitch that nobody can hit, which is intuitively gifted, no different than somebody who can jump 15 feet in the air or sing like a bird or whatever other gifts people have. I have such a connection only to the customer, not to my checkbook, not to my partners, not to anything but the customer, and I watch them. And I watched him 24-7, 365 for the last 40 years of my short 44-year life. And that's why I was terrible at school. And that's why I will go on to buy the New York Jets and win Super Bowls. And, and so for me, since we have the serendipity of being in this room together today, please, please listen to the conviction and transparency in my voice. The inability to do pictures and videos, content, and know how to run the media, the ads, on the platforms that live on top of the phone is the biggest vulnerability in business today, whether you are a one-store location that's been there for 21 years and you have a great reputation or you're trying to innovate and expand. It's a very big deal because not if, You can clap all you want about family business and we're not going DTC. You're not, but the world is. And so, please, they may win or lose. Here's what I know. Betting on technology losing has always lost. And so I desperately need you to know there is a counter to Apple starting their own product. There's a counter. You can actually beat you. Johnny in the back, Sally, you can beat Apple. My friends, the thing I didn't tell you about when I took my daddy's business from three to 65 million with no money was wine.com raised $180 million a month after I started full time. But they didn't execute. And more importantly, they can't take the whole market. If tomorrow I woke up and Apple created the device that we're referring to, I would still know that every person in this room could still have a feasible business if they were on the offense, not sailing on the defense. If they didn't expect this organization or whoever else you're partnered with to make their content for them and post organically. You must build the skill of building the brand of your business or you will feel the effects, I promise. It is devastating to me that every day of my life I get an email from somebody that's been to one of these talks over the last 15 years telling me they did go out of business because they didn't execute. And it's amazing to me that every day, every single day, somebody emails me and says, there's a nail salon company in Toronto that did three million that went to 11 million in one year by executing. The 50 hours that I am mandating, hoping, praying that you will put into to educate yourself, I don't care if you're, by the way, I did not say if, you're, if you are 67-year-old Rick in here and you're listening and you're like, okay, I'm gonna let my niece 
do that for us. I did not say that, Rick. I said you, you, so that you can judge if your niece, so you can judge if your partners are doing the right content and it's actually working for you. You must become a practitioner in communications because what the internet is doing, my friends, it is commoditizing everything but the ability to communicate. Don't get it twisted. It's happened and how you want it to be isn't gonna change that. Thank you. As we end today's podcast, I want to give a huge shout out to the people, you know, it's so funny, people that leave reviews and written reviews of this podcast on Apple, Spotify, and all the other platforms just mean the world to me. You've taken an extra 13 to 95 seconds to show love and also give context to people of why this is a worthwhile podcast. So I appreciate that so much. And even more fun, because uh, I think we all love a little cosign or a shout out or a little awareness, uh, I'm gonna have the team give a couple of shout outs uh, daily on uh, our favorite reviews. So Dean, take it away. Which were our favorites this week? Thank you, Gary. Today's reviews, love and number one for valuable content. Written in by Prolific Mark and Tim Patch say, I cannot think of a better title for this review other than love. Love because that's how I'm feeling after consuming this. That's what I feel from your energy. If you're looking for value, look no further. And secondly, if you are not listening to this podcast daily, you are doing yourself a disservice. Gary not only talks the talk, but he walks the walk. He is brutally honest and will tell you how it is, even if you don't want to hear it. I was at a low point in my life personally and professionally, and Gary's advice enlightened me and got my attitude back on track. Thanks, Gary. Thank you both so much for writing in, and remember, keep leaving reviews because yours could be next.